Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that delivers even on holiday time. I'm your host, Rob. Dennis. Rick and Richard. And uh, no, Kevin, uh, he is actually in, while he is out of Arizona and in Missouri, he is in St. Louis visiting family tonight. So uh, we do not have him for this episode, but we will have him for our next episode in studio, which will be great. Uh, but this one, uh, this one's going to be a little bit different. This is a short episode uh, recorded via Skype. Uh, because uh, we wanted to get something to you guys for Christmas. Uh, this is our Christmas mailbag edition, so this is just, it is just listener mail. Maybe a little bit of hobby progress at the end, but primarily just listener mail. Uh, and, and one of the reasons for that is there's not been a lot come out. I mean, we don't have any real news and new releases over December. I mean, there's been some books out. Uh, obviously, uh, Faith and Faith and Fury came out. Blood of Ball came out um, for the Psychic Awakening series. We've got a new Psychic Awakening coming in January. That's going to be Grey Knights, Thousand Suns, and apparently maybe Dark Angels. And then we've had like the Kill Team Annual and the Blackstone Fortress Annual, and those are all cool. Although some of those are just kind of compilations of stuff that's already come out throughout the year. But we figured uh, we'll give those uh, some of those books an episode of their own, but with the holidays coming up, everyone's schedule is busy. So let's just get something in and, uh, figured listener mail is one of our favorite things to do. So we're just going to hit listener mail. So, um, without further ado, we'll just jump right in. And we actually do have a list, kind of a list review, kind of a list building on this one. So that, that that's fun. But, uh, first one is from Chris noon. Uh, Chris writes, dear preferred enemies, I've been intending to write this for a while, but your recent discussion about White Dwarf Supplement versus Space Marine Codex versus Chapter-Specific Codex finally motivated me to do so. In short, Warhammer 40K's rules are catastrophe, and GW should move to a digital rule system immediately, if not sooner. Uh, before 40K, my first miniatures game was War Machine. War Machine keeps its rules in a core rulebook, PDF, and a library of cards for individual models. Up-to-date versions of both are available for free on the publisher's website. They also have an app that serves as both rules database and player aid, letting you build lists and track model stats during games. Magic the Gathering, which is unquestionably the most complex game ever devised, and a uh, side note, that has been like mathematically proven, that it is like yeah. the ultimate unsolvable <laughs> game. Uh, has a single, admittedly massive, comprehensive rules document and a searchable database of individual cards with all rulings included. Uh, Warhammer 40k, on the other hand, keeps its rules in a bunch of dead trees that can't be updated. Then it gives you 61 PDF files worth of errata and wishes you good luck. A pile of PDFs is not searchable in the way that a database or a rules app is. Getting answers to rules questions is time-consuming and fiddly, and it has no reason to be this way other than GW's perverse attachment to physical media. A digital rule system needn't be that elaborate, just updating the Battle Primer PDF would be a great start, and offering individual data sheets for download would enable units to be eroded with ease. Anyway, I have two questions. 
One, what kind of digital rule system would you like to see implemented for 40K? And two, what do you think GW will actually do as the complexity of the game rises? Love the show. Thanks for reading. Chris, P.S., Age of Sigmar actually manages to be worse than 40K, as even though unit profiles are available as digital downloads, they are never updated, with corrections and changes being released as yet more FAQs. Yeah, that, and I feel like that's the answer to number two, question number two, is that's what GW would actually do, is if they did move to a digital rule set for 40K, they'd basically just do what they do for Age of Sigmar, which... Mm-hmm as you point out, is it much better? <laughs> Not great, basically. Yeah. And GW does love their books. They absolutely love their print department. I guess I'm old, but I, I also enjoy having the feel of a book in my hand for, for having my rules, as opposed to like a tablet or something that like during the course of a 40K game, which takes hours, like I have to like keep it on like charger or something or else like, oops, maybe my rules just go away because my tablet isn't charged anymore. Yeah, no, that, that is a real concern is that digital formats have the side effect of needing a battery. And also, you know, GW's done the digital version of codexes thing in the past and wasn't great. (laughs) Um, they did the, uh, you know, they had the iOS iBook thing going on, and then they also yeah. had like the Moby and uh, like ebook versions, and they were all right. different, available through different sources. Because if it and and that's one of the problems right now with the digital format, the way they were trying to do it is there's not really one standard format. Yeah, I mean, a PDF is pretty universal, but that it doesn't quite solve all the problems of just making a pdf right so one thing that might be a way they could do a digital system in the future since they like you said they've already done the the digital books and stuff but i would say maybe the magic route and have all of your facts and and searchable because i know right now you download them and you have to go through them yourselves if there was something where you can just search for like keywords or whatnot to try and pull up the answers you're looking for right away that would speed up scouring through each of the faq docs oh absolutely yeah that would also though require people on gw side to be coding and keeping these up to those up to yeah and uh, yeah maintaining them would be a new thing for them Well, and, and one thing I'd like to point out, yeah, you know, uh, one of the examples he does give, and I, and while I do appreciate the Magic the Gathering, uh, the Magic the Gathering comparison, Magic, despite being a mathematically infinitely complex game, is actually considerably simpler to play than it, than forty. That, and the game's been around for like twenty eight years now, I think, something like that. Yeah. Since, like, 93, yeah. Right. And aside from, like, additions and minor tweaks, like, the game at its base, like, hasn't changed. Right. The functions of the game are still the same over all of those years. Whereas this game that we're playing is way different than the game we were playing, like, two years ago. Right, right. Like, a card database that you had updated with everything... Let's say you had a card database that you updated with everything that came out through 
O Theros. Yeah, everything which which would have been what 2014, 2015. Yeah. All of that, and you didn't update it with anything else after that. And I pick on Theros because Theros is beyond is coming out. And as I've become a bigger and bigger magic (laughs) head, that has been uh, taking up more of my brain space. But, um, you know, so it's something that's like four or five years out of date. All of those cards, in fact, there are entire formats of the game that are devoted to playing just those cards. And as you said, those cards will function pretty much identically to the way they do now. There's no change. You do that with 40K... And we're going to talk about this a bit in our next, probably a lot in our next episode. But uh, that doesn't work. With, they'd have to redo those databases every couple of years at this yeah. rate. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, searchable FAQs would be a huge, and PDFs are kind of searchable, but it would be nice to just have an interface where they just have like an online repository of here's all the FAQs. And just be able to just do a keyword search. Like, give me every reference of the word morale. Like, I I need to know, like, what armies have had, like, tweaks to morale. Or, like, have rules interact with morale. Give me all instances of psychic test or perils. You know, something like, I want to see everything like that. And maybe I can filter it down by faction. That's the other, another thing is that, uh, like, going, what I was actually going to go to originally was uh, War Machine. War Machine has like six factions. <laughs> and yeah. and the unit list in any of those factions it would be considered a small to midland 40k army. So GW has a lot more stuff to do and they're constantly trying to keep things updated and fresh, but you know, since we started doing this podcast in 2011, we've added like five new factions since then that are all in many ways fully playable fleshed out factions so uh you know it's you know it's much like it's a challenge to keep a game like that balanced it's also a it's a challenge to keep a database of all that stuff maintained and then you also have the issue of gw generally likes to make money on their products and thus whereas like age of sigmar does have everything available for download and i do think they do keep they don't keep things updated based on FAQs. They update data. They'll like update their war scrolls when a new book comes out, like a new version of that army comes out and they'll update all the, the PDFs then, but they won't necessarily update them with any changes that are made between books. Uh, Right. Although as far as I know, the, the app does stay up to date. Okay, yeah. Actually, I think you're right because the the app is no longer just serving up the PDFs they used to have. It's got like it's its own database, which proves that GW can do it. Uh although the way they do their app is interesting, like you can like you can search any unit in the game and find out its rules, and that's fantastic. If you want to use their deck building, then you have to pay like a yearly subscription. And it's like 12 bucks a year. It's it's nothing. But yeah, you do I, ha- I I have it, and I feel like I should use it more often than I do. But I mean, yeah, it's really cheap. Uh, but um, one thing they do do is uh, Age of Sigmar does still have they have bata- what they call battalions, which are basically the equivalent of 40k f- uh, formations from like seventh edition. Right. And to use those, you actually have to pay for a digital unlock of the contents of that book, which yep. is often the same price as the print version of the book, 
which is right. why and I have never done that, even though I own a number of Age of Sigmar books. <laughs> right. Yeah, I am the I am the same way. I have some of the the Age of Sigmar books. I have not aside from I actually buy my general's handbook through the app, which okay. is actually kind of handy. Um, aside from that, though, I, I haven't bought any of the, the battalions. And, and so that kind of gets me to what would, you know, kind of my answer on what would GW do is GW would basically, if they made an app similar to the Azure app, the, the Warhammer Age of Sigmar app, then that would be cool. Uh, it would be a, it would be a good step. It'd be nice to have an official army builder that was updated with like points costs as uh new as like chapter approved or errata comes out. And they have been pretty good about that in Azure of keeping the, the age of Sigmar stuff updated. And obviously the new chapter proved uh, rather than just putting in the changes in price, they put in the prices for everything. So obviously they've got one combined database of where they could just dump that in, but yeah. then it would be like, Oh, you want to you want to set up your army like you want to mark your army with like a bunch of special rules, which fortunately we we don't exactly have like formations anymore, but like I'm f- sure they would find a way to charge extra for the digital access to that. I could see it it being like y- you want your stratagems and relics and and like your your actual like here have have the the data sheets for the units and you can use those but like you actually need the if you want army wide rules yeah that, and- like the special things like like you could even put like they might even do like warlord traits warlord traits and and relics and stratagems yeah you need to to buy those yeah, because I could I could honestly see them doing something where it's like, oh yeah, we've got an army builder, but it only it only uses everything that's on the data sheets, which we include in all the boxes. Like anytime you buy a new army box, it's got the data sheet for the unit in there, but it doesn't have points and it doesn't have relics and it doesn't have warlord traits or chapter traits or anything. Yeah, I could absolutely see them paywall right. like that. Yeah, for for kind of the first question what what i would like to see them implement i I think it would actually be kind of neat if they did like a they had all their pdf they had pdfs of all of the army books and then you paid a subscription price and then you just have access to everything yeah i could see that or i could even see something kind of like any of our any creatives in the uh, audience will understand this. Uh, and Richard, I'm sure you will. Uh, the Adobe Creative Cloud model, where uh, yeah. like, where you've got like, oh, I only want one codex and maybe chapter, like I want my codex chapter approved and that's pretty much it. And that's like, maybe we'll charge like, you know, however much a year for that. Oh, I want access to all the codexes. That's Then that's a larger bundle and you could just yeah. pay for that. Yeah. I could see something like that. I would also like to see something where if you did buy, like if you're like us and you like dead tree editions, um, a, some sort of like scratch off one use code. Like, yeah. You know, Cause the codexes are often shrink wrapped anyway when you buy them. Right. So have, the, s- I mean, hell Mar- Marvel comics. Yeah. Do that. 
Oh, yeah. A little peel-off sticker and the code underneath, and you can put that into their app, and bam, you have a digital copy of the comic that you just bought the hard copy of. Yeah. Okay, I really like this idea. Well, because and that would that would address the issue of I want I bought this book. Give me a digital version of it. Maybe it's a digital version I can only access through their app. That's fine. You know, or or I could even it would even be like a step in the right direction if it was like you know a discounted price. Like I bought the the you know hard copy of the the codex, and now I get this code, and then. If I spend another five or ten dollars, then I get the digital version. Yeah, no, that yeah, that like yeah, just give me like normally the digital version would cost the same as the print version, but here you'll get it for right. like thirty dollars off. Yeah, you would you know thirty discount with proof of proof of purchase basically. That's right. Yeah, that, and then if uh, you like, buy even that would be a step in the right direction for for that. Yeah, and then if somebody buys like though I you know somebody buys a used copy of the Codex like a half price books or a, a trades you know like buys an army off of somebody they the discount code's already probably been used so yeah you'll have to right. buy your digital Codex but you got your print Codex cheap so yeah no that sounds that see that's what I would really like to see is yeah some sort of some hybrid of physical and digital and the the digital one you'd have they you know you're paying for a subscription or one or paying for a digital copy. Keep it updated. There's no reason why it shouldn't be, um, even if you want to. And, and with some of the stuff they've been doing in the the Psychic Awakening books, I really kind of feel like those, I know they want to make them their own books, but some of the army changes, I think, really should just be rolled into, like, if I was going to do a digital codec, just roll those in. Yeah. If somebody wants the narrative missions and everything and wants to see what's going on, cool. But, like, if I'm paying for, like, a subscription or a digital codex, like, if I'm playing Blood Angels, the stuff in Blood of Ball completely changes how my army works. Give, I shouldn't have to buy a physical copy of that book to unlock those changes to function the same way other marine armies do. Tyranid players should not have to pay to get all the extra rules in a digital format. Because really what they're paying for is a whole book to get, like, 10 pages of rules. They should not have to pay extra for that, at least in my feeling. Yeah. But yeah, what what will they what would they actually do? It would probably be more like Azure only paywalled weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Or the other thing they could do is just do nothing. <laughs> you know, they have That's what that, I would think they would do. Yeah, I I unless they see that there's a major push. I I think Age of Sigmar's been kind of interesting because it's really been an. Ex- I mean, since they launched Age of Sigmar, since they killed off Warhammer Fantasy, which is coming back, strangely enough, in a few years. Yeah. Um. Ever since they brought Age of Sigmar out, it's been kind of this grand experiment where they can test different things and see what works and what doesn't. And if they decide that what they want that they want to apply, kind of what they're doing digitally for. Age of Sigmar into 40k, they'll do that. I just haven't seen any evidence from them that they're really pushing for that. Uh, you know, they built, they did their army roster builder a year or so ago, and it was terrible because it did not build armies the way it, like, it was great if you wanted to build non-battle forged armies, and that's all. 
And uh, I don't even, I haven't even checked to see if it's been, I imagine it's been updated with newer stuff, but I don't know. So. Yeah. And I, I, but I doubt it's been updated in any sense of functionality. So. Yeah. See, now I want to go check. (laughs) I'm going to actually go check on the Warhammer community page because I mean, it theoretically, it should be there. Let's see. Combat, combat roster. All right. So let's see. Um, something that's been added recently, unit-wise. Um, Chaos Knights. Chaos Knights have been added since Combat Roster came out. Hey, look, Combat Chaos Knights are out. Yes, they have all the all the the Desecrator, the Despoiler, the Rampager, the Tyrant, and War Dogs. Yep. Um, let's see if I want to play Imperium Blood Angels. Blood Angels has got a bunch of new stuff. Uh, Infiltrators, Intercessors. They have Infiltrator twice. That's an error. I'm I'm assuming one of those is supposed to be uh the uh the other squad which my name my the, my brain's gone blank on what the other cuz there's too many IN names. <laughs> yeah. Intercessor Infiltrator Incursor. Right. Yeah, yeah, they have the Infiltrator squad twice uh but yeah no they I okay, I got to give How them, about sister? How about sisters? Ah, there we go. Imperium do 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 uh Adeptus Auroritas. And yes, it is updated with everything from the Codex, and it still includes units from the index as well. So like Uriah Jacobus, who is not in the Codex, is still a valid HQ choice in here. Huh. Uh, mortifiers are in. So okay. To their credit, they have kept the combat roster updated. It's still a mostly useless application. Right. But, Which is why we don't know whether it's updated or not. Exactly, because it's it's because it, <laughs> no one uses it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much garbage, but I at least it's updated garbage. So good on you. Hey, and it's searchable. It, it's it's accurate garbage. <laughs> it's accurate garbage. There you go. Uh that that's that's like damning with faint praise. <laughs> but yeah, the, I I'm I'll be impressed 40k wise like show me first that you can actually put forth a decent digital product and then we'll see where you go from there but yeah my guess is for like number one we've already said some sort of digital subscription with a useful army builder something where there's a hybrid for your print books and your and digital copies something like that the reality is i think we'll get nothing or maybe eventually something equivalent to what age of sigmar has yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, repeat writer uh, Drew Davenport. Drew writes, hey, preferred enemies, it's Drew again. I have a quick discussion topic for you guys that my friends and I have started wondering about. Are 2000 point games getting too big? With the newest chapter approved coming out, seeing some of the newest changes coming, some armies are getting massive point drops to see them get put on the table. I'm all for playing with as many of our toys as possible, but the models put on the table means more and more time needed to play one game. I'm aware that games get faster with practice, and Space Marines killing power is supposed to be the bar on the future, but at some point, it'll be too much to either do what you want to do with an army or too much of an investment for new players or getting into a new army. I don't know, maybe I'm just complaining that I can't make those risk-reward decisions in-game fast enough to play a good game in the usual tournament environment yet, but I think it might be better to have heads in the discussion. Keep up the good work, and looking forward to Midwest Conquest next year, Drew. So I I don't think 2,000-point games are getting too big. 
I think they already were too big. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm probably on his. I think 2,000 points are still okay now, but with point drops last year, point drops this year, each codex that comes out has point drops. I think by next year, we'll probably see people starting to talk about 1750 or 1850 again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of like 2,000 points. When when, when 8th edition first hit... 2,000 points was kind of a interesting point to kind of base the game around. And it it seemed like a, a big jump because we had been used to like 1750, 1850 before that. And it's like, well, 2,000 points, that's was always kind of that weird spot where we had like the or we had the 1999 plus one thing from sixth edition, which we should never speak of again. That was garbage. Um but uh, yeah, 2000 was kind of an interesting point to start at. And I, yeah, I, I think it was fine at the time. But as you said, as point, as we've had point drops and rebalancing and more, like we're starting to see horde armies more on the table again, because uh, orcs are, have definitely made a big impact. Gene Steeler cults are quite good. Um, yeah. We'll see if Nid's get better with uh uh but like guard has obviously you know had a combination of lots of bodies and then big tanks small elite armies don't generally tear up the field too much although marines are starting marines are kind of in a a middle space right i I don't consider marines except for maybe gray knights as and like well custodes aren't marines but most marine armies are not small elite they're they're normally like you said middle of the road they're not horde they're not a small elite they're kind of just the standard here's your balance army yeah but yeah it does seem like we're getting point deflation to the point where yeah you're you're able to fit a lot like the 2000 points goes a lot farther and that would be fine if things would actually die yes that is another problem is that there's a number of armies that are very resilient which like Nurgle armies, Necron armies can just be an absolute pain to play against. All Primaris. All Primaris, yeah, where you just got so many wounds and then so like is Iron Hands where you've got feel everybody's got feel no pain. Um yeah, it's yeah, armies are sticking around longer. It's uh I mean, I remember it back in the day of, you know, Index 40k like that was a thing that we pointed out is like, wow, stuff dies a lot in this game now. That was awesome. Because like lots of stuff didn't really have that staying power or the rules to support them just being on the battlefield all the time. Yeah. And, and it made you kind of play through. differently because you your your things were not gonna be there. So you had to plan on, well if this isn't here, what's what's my backup? What what's my number two? Well he, now it's like just put the most survivable things on and they just don't you you plan on them not dying. Yeah. Or or, or you figure out ways like if you're a Tau player, you figure out how, ways to make sure that you've got everything that you want to keep around survive you know surrounded by shield drones so that they can die instead. Um yeah, no, that that seems to be the 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 plan. Is it's also like one of the reasons why why is it why are knights a popular army because knights are really hard to kill, and it has the the flip side of also being few models, so you can 
play t- play within a decent amount of time too. And most knights have a decent amount of shots, so mm-hmm. your lack of bodies is not hurting. Nope. Nope. And, and you and you take the house that that lets you not degrade until you get down into the bottom lower, and you're still really good while you're taking a lot of even if you do start taking damage. Yep. Yeah, Hawk Shroud's a good one. Um, or you take the, uh, or the other one is like House Raven. So like, I'm just as, I'm as mobile as you are, but I don't, my mobility does not affect my firepower at all. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. However, if you bring up the idea of dropping to 1500 or 1750 points to people, it is like pulling teeth. Uh, there we we have a uh people want to play with all their toys and in fact when we uh did the friendly last year when we announced the friendly for midwest conquest and we said hey it's gonna we're gonna play power level because that's what we had played at the friendly at lvo uh we're gonna do 100 pl and but around that time chapter approved 2018 came out and it had a lot of point drops for mechanicus and we had a couple of players who were going to play Mechanicus and the friendly say, well, actually we're going to switch over to the GT because now we can play with a lot more of our models in 2000 points than we can at hundred PL, both because hundred PL really does work out to about 1750, 1800 points roughly plus power level never gets updated the way points do. And which is why I, I'll play, play Zeragniel in a power level game. Cause that never got updated. Yes. And, and I think that's that's something about it is GW still does like obviously they're putting a lot more emphasis on balancing for points, but power level is still a thing they're keeping around. And that does like short of a new codex getting updated or a data sheet act, you know, actively getting updated. Power level very rarely changes and is not it's still kind of a measure of where we thought the unit was balanced when the index came out rather than where the ba- unit is actually balanced. Yeah. Well, and you know for- what? A, 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 an online database that's constantly updated would solve that problem. Sure it, would. It would. <laughs> but I'll also say, though, for, for power levels, demons also use that for summoning. True, so. true. So it is does have a mechanical ba- you know, focus in the game itself. But you still also have to have the points available to yeah. play the unit, regardless of how however much power right. level it is. I, I I know that there actually I want to say there's there's some stratagems that make use of of power level as well. Mm-hmm. Like like uh, oh the orc one that like lets you deep strike a unit if you deep strike like a transport it like. Oh yeah, it's got a cap it, on how it, much it it and its its occupants have to be under like a certain power level or something, if I remember correctly. Right. Don't uh, space wolves have something where like it, you target like a guy attacks a vehicle or monster that has a higher power level than him? I want to say they do. I'd have to look at the codex again. Uh, that that sounds right. Also, yeah. uh, but but anyway, you know it's people want to play with as many of their toys as they can. And if you tell them, Hey, we're going to do 1750 suddenly that is less attractive to people. And some of that is, if you want that to change, 
that's going to have to be something that is just kind of pushed at the community. And don't be surprised if you get pushed back because so far that has not been shown to fly. The other thing I've found is dropping like dropping 250 points from like, you know, 2000 to 1750 does not make that big a difference in how fast the game plays because of the resiliency of units, because of the number of rerolls that are involved, because of uh, alternating deployment. I mean, that right there will slow a game down and 250 points is not, it is maybe a difference of one unit, maybe two. It's not huge. Um, 1500 points, you will actually start to see differences. The other thing you have to keep in mind is just as, as with any environment change, dropping 500 points will shift the balance of the game because we know this game is where it used to be once upon a time designed for 1500 points. And that was the balance sweet spot. And things got out of balance when people wanted to play 2000 points. Now the game is designed for 2000 points and the balance starts to get a bit wonky when you go down to 1500. So that is a, a, a real concern on, and it doesn't necessarily mean like that's bad. It just realize that thing, like you can't just take your standard 2000 point army, figure out a way to cut fif- cut 500 points and call it good. No, it's like, this is going to, what's going to be good is going to be very different now because it wasn't meant to be played that way. And yeah. yeah, just, there's a reason why kill team is its own thing is because unlike age of Sigmar, which, yes, they have Warcry, but Warcry is a completely different game than Age of Sigmar. But Age of Sigmar actually scales very relatively well. The rules scale well from small to large. 40k does not. 40, I think yeah. 40, 40k starts to fall apart once you go below 1,000 points. Uh, I, and like I feel like a big part of that is just the fact that there's less ranged in age of sigmar yes yeah like just in general Mm -hmm. there is less ranged in in age of sigmar so like it's a lot of like running at each other and hitting each other with sticks that tends to scale a lot better Mm -hmm. yeah it does but yeah um are 2000 point games too big I think our consensus would be if they weren't already, they might very well be now or soon. But yeah. is that something that the community is willing to change at this point? Not until they start. I think the answer is just no. <laughs> the, well, the answer is no. And, and I say there's, the, the there's community. There's going to have to be like a breaking point where like people recognize that oh tournament games even people that are like really practiced and good at tournament games and like the point bloat has gotten to such a s- extent that nobody's finishing games well and that's what happened when we moved you know the the community pretty much moved from two and a half hours to three hours and we're like midwest conquest we were one of the first events to really right. push for the Nah, two and a half hours is not enough time, even with chess clocks. Let's let's push it to three. And three has 
proven to be pretty good, but we're still I still see a lot of games not finishing. I see a lot of games like making it to turn three or four and not quite getting completion. There's there's there are a lot of games that do finish, but yeah, we're I have a feeling we're gonna start reaching that that breaking point sooner than we might like to admit. Um but until that happens, and, and again, when I say the community, it tends to be the competitive community because we're talking about tournament size, you know, like tournament games. Because yeah. Garage Hammer pickup games, nobody really cares. You now, unless you're doing practice for a tournament, a game is a game is a game. It'll take however long it's going to take, and you have fun doing it, and it doesn't really matter. Yep. But if you're trying to fit within a tournament time frame, three hours with both players like being on top of their game no no jawing around no like no xx conversation if you can avoid it just fun. i mean not that you can't have fun with your opponent but it's like you don't have time for a lot of like digressions from the game so yeah, yeah. it's gonna get it's not gonna get any easier with the point with the points cost reductions that units have been getting all right, next one is from Talon Rooney, another repeat writer. And Talon writes, here's a quick question for you fine gentlemen. How much information do you give out freely about your army to your opponent? When you're setting up to play an opponent that you've never fought before, do you go over your list, relics, spells, tactics, and strats? Uh, my idea is I'll answer every question you have in a clear and concise manner. You ask, how far does X move? I'll respond with X inches. As were you to ask, what's the threat range of X unit? So I'll respond with, I move, advance if possible, plus weapon ranges, plus charge, which is a thorough enough answer to your question. I refuse up to I refuse to just give up free information and explain to you how to best my army. If I do that, then why even play, try to play tactically? Now, I will give help to a newer player. I will give a newer player pointers and stuff such as that. But if I ask, do you know my army? And your response is yes, then I'll leave it at that. What are your thoughts? Oh, I can go easy on this one. Um, yeah, it, it depends. Like the last statement he said is if it's a newer player, I will go over everything, uh, even if they don't have questions, just so they understand what things can do. Um, if it's an experienced player, I'll just say what things do. And normally they don't ask questions because they pretty much know. And if they do, they'll ask like about threat ranges or how much can this move and things like that. So it is a balance between the two. I tend to lean on the side of, I want you to know as much about my army as you can, because then to me, if I can beat you and you already know my tricks, well, maybe not all the tricks, but all the ones that you can see on the table that I've done something, I think more like astounding than, yeah, you, you knew nothing. There's the big fog of war and hi, stomped you. I just, I guess that's, I just like to play against someone at where they're, I feel like they're on equal footing, knowing everything about me. So if I can overcome that, it's like, feels like a better challenge. And it feels like I've, taught them more about my army so they actually if they go play that army elsewhere maybe they don't have to have as many questions or whatnot yeah i i also have to say like yeah if you're playing against an army and like the the guy does something that is really big and is swings the game 
like all of a sudden and you don't know what it was going to do. And like, there's that big gotcha moment. And like being on the receiving end of that is, it it can be a real big feel bad. Yeah. That is a feel bad moment. And I don't, and I don't like to do that to my opponent. So like, I, I like for there not to necessarily be like a huge surprise for my opponent, even if, even if they are a, a fairly experienced player, I want to make sure that like there isn't any hard feelings after the game. Right. Have the surprises be how you use your stratagems, how you actually tactically play rather than what are the nuts and bolts of things. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much my feeling. Like uh, when I, whenever I, I, I come to a table with an opponent. Like if it's somebody who I like, I know is you know a repeat like tournament play or something. I'll generally ask, "Hey, is there anything you have any questions about?" Like I'll just 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 ask that. If they tell me no, we move on. If they say yes, they'll tell me what what they need what they need to know, or they'll they'll tell me what they want to know. If it's if it's a just somebody I've never met before, I'll be like, hey, have you ever played against this before? If you have any questions, please feel free. And I will point out like when like this is my warlord trait. Uh, here's the relics I've picked. Um, if I have psychic powers, which I rarely do because I don't play those armies very much, but like here's the psychic powers I've picked. I don't generally go into stratagems much because those can be very situational. And there's also yeah. like like forty or fifty of them for a particular army. So, uh, I mean, if if you have designed your army to specifically make use of a specific stratagem, and you are planning on using that stratagem in the course of the game, I might mention it. Oh yeah, like if, let's say if I was playing uh, Drukari, I might say, "Hey, do you know about uh, like Agents of Vect?" Because that is kind of a, like, that's a key thing that I'm likely to do if I'm playing Cabal of the Black Card. It's like, you do know just like once, at least once per game, I can cancel one of your stratagems. Right, exactly. That, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, but like, uh, perfect example at the Renegade Friendly, um, I was playing Beta Sisters and like, I other I think I had one opponent when I played Cheryl Matheson. She has also played the Sisters Armies before, so I didn't have to explain to her how it worked. But my other two opponents, like, so this is how like my miracles work. This is how the Acts of Faith system works. So you know, if it, and just kind of like spell out like, hey, once per turn, like I have these powers I can spend dice on. And I have to roll them and see if they happen. Um, and then I'll, like I'll point out like, like going through my units, like okay. And especially if you can relate it to something else, like, okay, so here's my Candace. She basically works like a space marine captain. Here's my, uh, here's my retributors. They're basically a dev- devastator squad. Here's my, um, here's my dominions. They're basically like a veteran squad with melted guns that can scout move. And it's like, you can kind of go really fast. What I will never do, unless it is a training game, unless it is a learning game, I will not tell my opponent how to beat my army. I will not try yeah. to make tactical decisions for my opponent. I will not even tell my opponent what I think they might want to do. Yeah. 
But now, if I, I'm teaching somebody to play, I will absolutely do those things because that's a different style of game. Right. I I will say I have I have done a, a that a, a few times, but like that's like I said when I'm doing like a teaching game or or for instance, I was playing the Ringer Army at at, at Midwest Conquest, and I'm on the bottom table. So, like, yeah, I feel like maybe making some suggestions to my opponent as to, like, things that he might consider doing. I'll do that. But, like, you shouldn't. But that's a special situation. Yeah. Yeah, that is not something. Playing a ringer, and I'm not really supposed to win anyway. So, but, like, I. And I don't feel like explaining your army is, is not it's not the same as like beating yourself or telling your opponent exactly how to beat you. Right. And, and also I don't think it necessarily requires you to basically read out the data sheet for every unit in your army. Like I don't need to tell my opponent how far every unit in my army can move. I don't need to tell them what the save is on every unit, in my army yeah. up front. If they ask, that's one thing. Like they ask, oh yeah, can how fast can that unit move? Oh yeah, it, it can move this. And I will have the data sheet ready. Like I will try to have the data sheet ready to show them so that I can show them. Yeah, it does move this fast. And if you have any questions, like I've got all the rules because that's one of the reasons why, especially in a tournament, always have your rules available because an opponent asks you, wait a minute, it can do that? Yeah, it can. See right here. Which yep. is often respond by like, that's BS. I'm like, I didn't write the book. I'm just using it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily, if, if a unit is going to do something particularly oddball, then I might, I might volunteer that information because if it seems like it's something that breaks the rules, that's good to give your opponents a little bit of a heads up on, unless it's like a one-off stratagem that you're not likely to use most of the time. Right. And also, it's like, if you're playing an army that people don't see a lot, like, if you're playing a marine army, hopefully you don't have to explain to people how your marine army works, because everybody's got one right now. But, like, Dennis, I imagine when you're playing Slanesh Demons, you probably do have to give a little bit more explanation to people on how some stuff works. I do, and that's for two reasons. Because, one, it's an army people don't see, so, yes, people ask questions. And, two, kind of like Richard said... Recently, I've been at the bottom tables a lot, and I'm get, playing against people who are there not – I mean, they want to win, but they're also here to just get in games and to learn. Yeah, so so again, it's that – this is a different – like, the, the game purpose has changed a bit from traditional tournament game to a little bit more of a, a casual learning experience for your opponent. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, yeah, I think I think we're all on the same page here. You know, don't necessarily never hide information from your opponent. That don't be a dick. Never, never say if somebody asks you what what does this do. Um, you never tell them. I don't. I don't have to tell you that. It's like that. I mean, technically, you don't, but that's a jerk move. When in a in a game that should be even at a competitive level should be friendly and open. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't have to give everybody the skinny on exactly how everything in your army works and every little trick that you have and every way to beat your army. But you should be will absolutely willing to volunteer that information if they ask about it 
or especially at the top of the game, make sure that they are aware of at least the basics of what your army can do so that they, because they can, uh, they can form a reasonable battle plan. And also they should extend the same courtesy to you. If you have any questions about how an opponent's army plays, do not hesitate to ask. Don't be afraid to ask things and don't be afraid to ask like even something a little bit more technical, like what's the possible threat range of something like that? Cause then that's a fair question to ask. So it's like, that way you can know like, oh yeah, I shouldn't, I should stay like this far away from that thing. Or, hey, if I'm within this battle range, I'm probably going to get hit. So maybe I do just go for that thing because I'm, you know, it's going to come at me anyway. So uh, ask those questions of your opponent and and be willing to answer them yourself because that, that's fair and that's fun and it makes for a better experience for everybody. And and like you said, Richard, you you there's no reason to create additional feel bads that you don't need to. Yeah. All right. And then the last one for this holiday evening is from Adrian Jing C. Adrian writes, hi, I really enjoy the podcast. Definitely my top listen for 40K. Thank you, Adrian. Uh, I've just come back into 40K after a 10 year break and have been going back through all my all the Eldar episodes as I'm looking at what as I'm looking at doing a wraith based army, but with Ulthway, not Eandon. One of my main objectives is not to use any metal or fine cast. Good luck on some of those. <laughs> Um, in all honesty, I'm not even at the stage yet of thinking about stratagems, war gear, etc. I'm just putting together a buy list to put together 2,000 points fairly quickly. If you get the chance, maybe you could give some thought to the below, see how it sounds, see if, and if it sounds workable. Maybe throw out some ideas as to what might work well in terms of psyker powers and stratagems. Certainly not expecting a reply by message here. Uh, so what I'm contemplating, Eldred Ulthran, Spirit Seer, Warlock Skyrunner, and because the Spirit Seer is available in plastic now, that's actually a viable choice. Uh, three Guardian Squads, possibly with a weapons platform. Uh, five Wraith Blades, five Wraith Guard with D Cannons, five Wraith Guard with D Scythes, three Wind Riders, an Escort for the Skyrunner. Uh, two Wraith Lords, a Hemlock uh, Wraith Fighter, and uh, two Wave Serpents. Comes out to about 150... He says comes out to around 150. I'm assuming It's he... about 150 points left. Okay. Base it was like seventeen ninety two. Okay, I've actually put it up in Battle Scribe and playing with it. Ah, uh, see, you're awesome. That that is why we've got you on the show because I, I figured if we threw an Eldar list here, you'd chew on it. I uh, know we rarely yeah. get Eldar stuff. Uh, so there may need to be some things dropped depending on how weapon loadouts, etc., push up costs. There's only 150 points or so to play with. Except Chapter Proof 2019 might drop the points some, which it sounds like it did a bit. Uh, any pointers you can give would be greatly appreciated. And as ever, thanks for the podcast and keep up the good work. And then he wrote some additional notes, which I attached here. Uh, with the Eldar army, obviously it's heavily influenced by me wanting Wraith heavy and all plastic. I also like Eldrad and Ulthway generally, especially Black Guardians. I was very tempted to go Yandan, obviously for the Wraith benefits. And I do like the colors, especially given my other army is Black, Raven Guard. But I do just prefer Ulthway. And of course, while being black again, they have a totally different look from Raven Guard. So I'm kind of thinking three flavors of Wraith Guard or Wraith Blade just to try them out, see what works best, and try the idea the remaining weapon type one time. Uh, figure having the serpents to ship two of the Wraith units would be ideal. Taking the Hemlock, though I do prefer the look of the Crimson Hunter. The Hemlock seems to be more functional, though. Figured the Skyrunner would be a good idea to zip around buffing units, possibly with a unit of Wind Riders as an escort. So that's just some extra context. And Dennis, you have run lists very similar to this in the past, although generally with the Andon. And not with Guardians. I prefer Dire Ventures, but 
Guardians, the Black Guardians are definitely really good for this. Um, yeah, I do. I see the point of the Warlock Skyrunner with Wind Riders because that is a little, like you said, a little zip around unit. I don't know how effective it would be. It's either a good distraction unit or it's a good, like, I'm going to go hide and try and get this objective unit. Because unless it's out in front, people will probably ignore it as not a threat. Which um, is not a bad thing, s- necessarily. Right, right. And then the Wraith Blades, I still go for the Axe and Shield for survivability. And yeah, definitely play with all the, the versions of the Blades and the Guard, because all three of them are really good at what they do. Because the decise ones just push them forward, advance, all always advance, because... I mean, you are auto hit. Yeah. And the D cannons are assault weapons. So you can still advance with them and still be okay. Well, no, actually, and, are, did and, they change them to assault? I think they've always been assault. Uh, or no, I'm thinking or Wraith. I think okay. APOC. Uh, Wraith cannons are assault one. D cannons, which is, I think, the, the D cannons, the weapons platform, like the. Right, right, right. One. So these, these are the Wraith cannons on the Wraith yeah. guard. Yeah. Yeah. They're assault one. So yeah, yeah, you can just push so forward you can and keep moving with them. And the blades have no guns, so you don't have to worry about that. And that is a good vanguard thing. Um, just put those three together, and like you said, put two of the squads in the wave serpents. I don't know which two, probably the blades and one of the other ones. And then you can throw the spirits here in with them, and that'll be kind of like the the hammer you're trying to do, and and have the wave serpents protect them to get there. Wraith Lords are probably your backline trying to keep things away. Um, I definitely recommend a Star Cannon on them, maybe a Bright Lance. I, I run mine with one of each. I think that might be a decent thing to do, especially if you got two, because then you've got Bright Lance shots for big vehicles or knights, and you've got Star Cannon shots for Primaris, because mm-hmm. being able to do two wounds is really nice to have. But yeah, I, I was kidding out. I also was kidding out the wave serpents with um, star cannons because you see so many Primaris now that that seems to be the way to go. Uh, and you can even take guardian squads and the, we- the weapons platforms and put them star cannons. The only I think change I made is something he wasn't for, and that would be to add a warlock not on a skyrunner because then he can have Eldrad. And the um, warlock, not on a skyrunner, hanging out with the guardian squads or the wraith lords, and just being that castle, which is kind of what this is entailing too. But those are fine casts. So I know if you don't want that, but it's only one model. And then yeah, the hemlock will be can zoom around. And I think, and but adding the um, warlock would mean you would have to break this apart into battalion and a vanguard, which. It's easy to do because you've already got your three Guardian squads for your battalion and your three Wraith squads for your Vanguard. Yeah. So that is not a problem at all. Right. Uh, let's see. As for – I don't have my book in front of me, so I'd I have do. to go grab – You what do? you need to know? Good stratagems for Ulthway. Well, let's see. Well, there you've got Ulthway's – Ulthway's own stratagem is Discipline of the Black Guardians – which allows them to add one to all their hit rolls, either in the shooting or fight phase. So that's good. Like, it's going to make your Guardians even more effective. Otherwise, let's see. I mean, you've got Unparalleled Bastery. If you want Eldrad to do all the psychic powers, 
because that lets him lets any Asriani Farseer do an additional one after they uh, manifest their last psychic power. If you've got one one warlock, does that count as a conclave of one? No. Okay, so conclave, conclave has, is a separate unit. Okay, because otherwise there's there is a stratagem for a warlock conclave, which lets you double the range on a runes of battle power. Let's see. Other than that, with what we've got going on here, you've got light. I mean, some of them are just just the generically good Eldar ones, like uh, lightning fast reactions, always good. Um, if you're bringing in uh, like wraith blades, something like supreme disdain might not be bad because that lets you do additional attacks on uh, rolls of six up, which is not bad. Seer council. Um, if you've got that warlock within six, like if you do do the thing where you take the extra war, warlock, um, if he's within six inches of Eldrad, uh, lets you add one to the results of any psychic test as though Eldrad needs help. <laughs> uh, let's see. Otherwise, I'm kind of looking. I mean, nothing that is specific. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything that is particularly strong. I mean, that is specific for for this um and unfortunately i mean you've got the only other thing is you're gonna definitely want to have uh cp to use tears of isha just to heal your wraith constructs right but other otherwise yeah stratagems i mean it's just going to be generic eldar stuff plus discipline of the black guardians is going to be really what you're going to do um i don't know if this is an army that necessarily is going to make a lot of use of like a webway strike no because i mean unfortunately like if you could webway strike in a d scythe and it had more than an eight inch range and could actually hit the thing that it webway struck near that would be great but you can't so um they they would be a good uh a good unit to pop out to dump out of a wave serpent um on the other hand you i could see webway striking maybe the decant like the wraith cannon wraith guard because they've got a 12 inch range uh that is true so and that'd be one CP. I could see, like, put two of them in wave serpents. Put the like you know put the wraith blades and the and the death scythes in the wave serpents, and then put the uh, D cannon, the the wraith cannon wraith, wraith guard cannon into into webway strike, and then just have them pop out somewhere and just light up somebody with with D cannon fire. That wouldn't be bad. And then I'll say talking with the psychic ones, spirit seer. You could pick whatever power you, f- you really felt like because all of them are decent. What I would say is on the Ruins of Fortune, swap out Smite for Ghost Walk because that will let you add two to the charge roll of one of your units. So put the Spirits here with the Wraith Blades and that should be able to get them to charge a little bit better. And also either Protect Jinx is good because that ups your saving throws or reduces the saving throws and maybe empower and innovate. I don't cause that's adding one or subtracting one from wound rolls. It's, that's probably not as needed, but ha- having an extra armor or taking away an armor is always nice. Right. Um, although if you have that and you put them with the wraith blades, you might go with the two wraith swords over the invulnerable save. Because protect just adds. Uh, let me look. No, add one to your saving throws. Okay, never mind. It'll work on the invulnerable save too. Okay, so yeah, protect jinx is always one of my favorite ones. 
Yeah, and, um, that, as, and I see that one being good because you are such a small unit count army. Like, you're, none of your units are big, so you need to make them last as much as possible. Yeah, and then as for Eldrad and the other Warlock, Eldrad and Guide Doom Fortune is always a great trio. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's if you're making Eldred buffing, which I, that's how I see his role as being the guy who's casting all the buffs and letting the soldiers do the work. And then just having that second warlock there close to him and the, or the Wraith Lords would let you maybe enhance drain, conceal reveal might be good. And yeah, there's lots of, it's like pick a power to taste. Oh wait, no, not, not enhance drain. That's fight phase only. Yeah, because yeah. you've only got like one unit that's really going to be getting into fight phase right. if you can help it. So the best one might be the the conceal reveal because then you can have an opponent subtract one from their hit rolls targeting your stuff or one of your units. Sorry. Yeah. So that would be probably a decent one to have there. Um, and yeah, that that's both the main suggestions I'd have for. Setting up something like this, it, it's got, like I said, you can hold objectives with the Guardians and have your Wraith Lords there as just big defenders while having the Wraith Guard be the hammer that's going out there. Or Wraith Lords can actually move decently, have them follow up if you need them to move as well. True, yeah. And how, how I was kidding, like I said, was a Bright Lance and a um, Star Cannon with two Flamers on the wrist because, well, Flamers are... St- Still ridiculously good. Yeah. And then the Ghost Glaive, because it's actually really good for in case you do need that extra oomph in close combat. Basically, your Wraith Lords can be all can basically deal with a little bit of everything. Yes. And I mean, they're, they're pretty they're, much going to have to be the heavy, you know, do some of the heavy lifting. They, they might. They You might have to send one or both to back up the Wraith Guard when they get up there. So that might be another thing you want to maybe deep strike. Yeah. So you, you, there are things well, no, to try you can't, with this. you can't deep strike them because they are not infantry or bike. Oh, boo. Okay. Yeah, it's not like some of the others where like you can have a transport come out or something like that. It's specifically Asriani infantry or biker. This has legs. That makes it infantry, right? <laughs> uh, n- no, it's the legs. The legs are too big. Okay. No, so it would have to walk, but it's got a movement of. Eight? That's yeah. not that fast. It, it's not fast, but it's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. So, I, I, will this list kind of like win tournaments? I don't think so, but I think it looks like a little fun thing to play. So, and you know, your so Oathway uh, craft world no trait is yeah, six up, feel no pain. So, nothing wrong with that. I mean, again, it'll help make these wraiths last longer and. Other than like the Wraith Lord and the like the Wraith Lord and the Hemlock or the Wraith Lords and the Hemlock are the only thing that would really benefit from the Andan uh, uh, doubling of damage. So it's not like you're you're really not yeah, losing you're... too much. The other part of Yandan is like is the never lose more than one from morale, which might matter maybe for the no. Guardian squads, but not really. Not really. At ten models each. Not really. Yeah. So so hopefully, Adrian, uh, Dennis has pointed you in the right direction on this. It does sound like it'll be a fun list to play. 
And uh, it, it's cool to see somebody doing a non Eandon Wraith army. That, I mean, that's just neat. I mean, now if you were doing trying to do something like a same hand Wraith army, I'd be like, why? But Eandon, hey, I've done that before. You have, and I, I still ask why. Because it, it matched with all my other, because that's, that's what I run. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But anyway, it, I think it'll be fun to play. And uh, yeah, we'll get you, uh, a, we'll send you via Facebook a PDF of the army list so you can take a look at it and see if you can make it work. And is that with the one fine cast warlock in there? Yes. So, um, so yeah, there there will be that one. Although maybe you can find a way to kit bash it from something else. Maybe don't know, but possibly. Anything? Or my other suggestion: if you didn't have the warlock, then get some more um, guardians to just make one of the squads bigger. Yeah, just have something to like really sit back and camp objective. Right. Yeah, that is never a bad thing to have. All right, so that is uh, the last of our holiday mailbag. So hopefully I should be able to get this out to you all uh, by Christmas. So enjoy that. Um, real quick, has anybody had any hobby progress over the last uh, like couple of weeks or so? Nope, it's been a holiday vacation. Yeah, I haven't gotten anything done. I've been too distracted by magic, honestly. <laughs> It does that. Uh, I did actually start... I Well, I kind of put stuff... I put together one model from the New Sisters box. I put together the Canonist that they have in there because that that Canonist is a cool model and it's the only model they have right now that has the Rod of Office, which actually has mechanical benefits. So I wanted to go ahead and get that one put together. The frustrating thing for me, as I've mentioned many times before, is, is having to rebase uh, my army... Although I think I found a solution, what I'll probably end up doing is kind of what I did on one of my Imperial Knights uh, when I didn't have an extra resin base for it. I've got a green stuff roller that has like a fleur de lis pattern from uh, Green Stuff World, so mm-hmm. I'll probably just take some plastic bases, put a th- layer, you know, thin layer of green stuff on top, and just roll out temple bases that way. So it should be fine. Here's the one unit where that's a problem. Uh, Sisters Repentia. And the reason that's a problem with them is they are on 28 millimeter bases. Not 25, mm. not 32, 28. <laughs> Guess what size GW doesn't even sell right now? <laughs> are they just sold out? No, they don't sell them separately. They, they don't. They Yeah, they don't sell them by oh. themselves yet. Yeah. I th- there's like I think there's a couple of models in like the Warcry that have 28 mil bases. Yep. And there's and until now there have been no units, like no like full on units that have been on 28 millimeter bases. So Sisters Repentia will be one of the first, which means we won't see 28 mil bases available until that unit comes out sometime in January, most likely. So until then, I'm stuck with 25 millimeter. My little Repentia will be on 25 millimeter, and my plastic ones will be on 28s. And there's nothing I can do about it. So, like I, I've been working on a list that uses two, like for a Bloody Rose that uses two squads of like eight Repentia each. And I thought, well, maybe I should put in some of the plastic ones. No, the sizes sizes of base won't fit. So. 
I'm just put together like I put six more. Uh, I, I had some unfinished Repentia that I put on resin bases, and I'm just like, ah, just screw it. I can't replace. I, I no one can blame me if I literally cannot replace the base because they don't sell it. Yeah, and that. So that this is going to th- this is going to be like the one unit I think that's going to vex me. Everything else is like on thirty two mil bases, and it should be fine. Um, I guess technically the other one is going to be rebasing my metal seraphim because the plastic seraphim used one of like the new curvy flight stands, and there's no way that will work with metal <laughs> metal seraphim. So I don't know yeah. what I'm gonna I'm gonna do with them unless I just stick them on metal poles somehow, like drill them through their bodies, and that will make me sad. But uh, not much to be done otherwise. But uh, yeah, so I finally oh, and I finally put together like the special uh, plastic like sister su- sister superior Amelia that they did like months ago. I finally got that one put together as well. So I'm just like oh, I'm putting together other plastic sisters. I might as well do this one. So. That I did that today, in fact. So yeah, I've kind of been with you, Richard. I'm like, I've been mostly focusing on magic and other card games. And so now I'm like, I should get back to doing Oh, and I oh, and I did put together Mephiston. The new Mephiston model is really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, he he looks like a beater, so I'm I had to have him for my Primaris Blood Angels army that I'm working on. Right. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. As I said, we are going to have another episode coming by, hopefully by the end of the year, or if not right after, which will be kind of a end of year review, but with a twist. Uh, so, and we'll have all four of us on the air in studio for that one. So that'll be, that'll be awesome to, to get everybody back together again. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll see you in about a week or so. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everybody. Happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Like 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. 
You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. <laughs> 